It is really good to be here. I'm excited to be here today. One, I love fall, and I wasn't here last week, and I just love church. Probably why I work at one, but I just really love being here and being with God's people on a Sunday morning. Um, so before I start the sermon today, a uh, quick little update uh, about me and my life so that we can kind of get to know each other a little bit more. Uh, my wife and I are pregnant. And we're super excited. We are in 12 weeks, you know, getting out of the first trimester, which is awesome. Uh, and we're feeling really good. So baby's doing great. Mom's doing great. Weird to call my wife mom. For the, that's a little bit weird, but getting used to it. Um, uh, yeah, but so yeah, if you, uh, prayers are appreciated. Um, we, we love it. So, but yeah, we're, we're pregnant and it's awesome. Um, so yeah, to, to, to begin today, I wanted to start uh, with a quick story. You know, I... When I transitioned into this position, I knew I'd be teaching and preaching a lot, and I kind of thought to myself, you know, I'm not going to be the, the pastor who finds, like, a sermon illustration in, like, everything, right? I'm like, that's over-exaggerated. Pastors don't see meaning in everything. Well, I was, P- Pastor Chris is laughing because he knows the truth. Um, I was at Valley Fair a few weeks ago, or I guess a couple months ago now, with some of our junior hires for an event we were doing, and... Um, and I saw, I, I, was, I was riding a, a bunch of rides with all the students. It was awesome. It was super hot. And we were enjoying ourselves. Uh, I had just ridden Wild Thing for the second time for all the roller coaster enthusiasts out there. Love Wild Thing. And I'm coming down the hill here, and I see people coming towards me, and they're wearing these big, bright red shirts, and they're, they're long-sleeved shirts, and they say in big letters, I matter on the front of them. And my first thought was, why are you wearing a long sleeve shirt, yo? Like, it is, it's like 90 degrees, it's super hot. Just cut those sleeves off or something, seriously. So after I kind of got over my worry for their, you know, public safety and their health, um, I then started to think, yeah, like, you do matter. You have worth. And after kind of like, I mean, I was connecting with these total strangers in a very real, silent way. I wasn't going up to, like, you do. Yeah, you really do matter. Um, But... Internally, I was thinking this, right? Uh, and then right after I was thinking that, I kind of had to stop and ask myself the question, why? Yes, like, you, they matter. I don't know them, but they put forth meaning into the world just by existing. But why? Like, what, where does that worth come from? Where, where, why do they matter? Why, why does it matter to me that they matter, right? I don't know these people. They could be anyone. I have no idea. They are anyone. I don't know them but I know that they matter. Something in me just says they matter in the world. And that, that question kind of led me down the path of thinking a lot about human dignity and human worth. And it directly, I think, connects to what we're trying to do in this Advocates series. You know, we, we are trying to, to move from knowledge to inspired action in just about everything that we do, Right? Uh, but also, the question that we're asking in this sermon series is, how do we do reconciliation in our day and age? What does that look like? How do we, be, how do we become advocates for reconciliation? Reconciling ourselves to people that we maybe disagree with or, or who look different than us or act different than us. And then being advocates for change of reconciliation in all of our lives, whether it's our, our job or our homes or whatever. We are wanting to become advocates for reconciling the world to Jesus, ultimately, right? And I think a big part of that is 
is recognizing that people have intrinsic worth. It's, it's almost always harder to dislike a person when you know that they matter and they, they cause meaning in the world. And they're not just an opinion or they're not just an argument. And so today that's kind of what I want to talk about. I want to talk about the why behind our worth in the world and, and, and move deeper into what that looks like. You know, we all know that we have a certain level of meaning, right? And we all know that we want to be treated with a certain level of meaning and understanding. And there's kind of, kind of an unwritten law of human dignity that basically asserts that every individual has intrinsic worth and thus should be treated according to the worth that they naturally possess. And Jesus sums this up really well in Matthew 7 in his Sermon on the Mount when he says this, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for in this is the law and the prophets. And we kind of summarize that as, as what? The golden rule, right? This is the, the pinnacle of how we should treat those around us. Treat them like we would want to be treated. And you know, I, I think the reason I said this is kind of the unwritten law of human dignity is because I think we would know this even if Jesus never said it. We, we would just know that, that we, should be, we have worth and we want to be treated well and that we should be treating others in the same kind of way that we want to be treated. And today I want to uncover, with God's help, why. Why we think this. So my main point today is, is simply this right here. If you're taking notes, I'd encourage you to write this down. The more we value God, the more we will value others. The more we place worth on God, the more we will place worth on other people. And to take it a step further, the more that we understand how God values people, the easier it will become for us to value those around us, and especially those who are different than us or maybe disagree with us. So today I want to begin at the source of our worth in Scripture. And I believe that Scripture connects our worth with the worthiness of the one who created us. It's, it's right there at the very beginning. And, and I know that we just kind of got out of a series of Genesis, but let this stand as an example of how the story of Genesis transcends an argument of creation and evolution. But it is connected to our life of following Jesus. That story, it's the beginning of not just the Bible, but it's the beginning of our story as the people of God. It's the beginning of the whole, this whole thing we call life, right? And it's connected all the way through. So after God had spoken all the world into existence, he brings his creative work to a close by creating us right? Mankind, humanity. So, so let's take a little bit deeper look into what's going on here. So if you have your Bibles, please open them to Genesis chapter 1. Also, I'd like to say, if you don't have a Bible today or at home, we have some here at the table there and, and one at the back too. Free for you to take. Enjoy. Take it home. Read it. It's awesome. So Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all of the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. 
you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. So in God's creation of man, he imprints his own image onto people, and then gives them the job of stewarding and taking care of his whole creation. Now, there are a lot of interesting things, I think, going on in this text connected to what we're talking about today, and today I want to look at just a few of them to kind of highlight our worth and God's value on humanity. The first one is just a literary observation, and it's that the creation of man happens on the last day, right? This is the summit of God's creation, right? If, this, if the creation narrative was its own story, this would be the climax or the, the moment of decision where something like incredible happens or something maybe not incredible but unique happens that's different from the rest of the story and changes the whole course of the rest of the story. This is that moment. Everything before this has been good in God's eyes. He created animals in, in the, the sky and, and stars and, and everything that we can see and all of it was good. But on this day, it was very good. On this day, it was uniquely good, specifically and special in its goodness. Our attention is drawn to this day because of the emphasis placed by the creator. So it, it moves along. Everything before this is good and perfect and in its place and, and right. But then God signifies, yes, all of that was good, but this day, this day is special to me. This day is very good. So secondly, this is the only day in creation that's preceded by divine deliberation. So on every other day, he starts off by saying, let there be light. And boom, there was light. Out of the power of his authority of language, he would speak forth something and that thing would come into being. But on this day, he stops. On this day, he pauses and he has a conversation. He says, let us make. Let's do something different here. It's as if he's saying, there's something special going on on this day and I want to point it out to you. So let's pause and let's think about it and let's talk about it. Let us make. This day, the impersonal words of let there be are replaced with the relational words of let us create or let us make. Third, humanity then is imprinted with God himself. This is unique all by its own. And all the other days of God's creation, God is creating out of the power of his language, and he produces out of his, but on this day, he produces something out of his own character. Not just language, not just words this time. He says, let us make something, but let us make something out of ourselves and put our image on it, put our name to it, unique to everything else in creation. In other parts of scripture, the word recounts that all creation professes the glory of God, right? And we talked about this in our last sermon series as well, that we can go out into creation and just see God's fingerprints on everything. And that's absolutely true. Romans 1 talks about that, that no person has an excuse to, to deny the existence of God because his proof is in the trees, it's in the sky, it's in the grass, it's in little children, it's all over the place. But... Humanity was the only thing uniquely designed to actually represent God. 
to be of his likeness, to be of his image. So, so absolutely. So while everything is certainly true that all creation points back to its creator, hum- humanity was specifically designed to represent and look like him. And then lastly, we see that God not only believes enough in humanity to create them in his own image, but he also saw fit to give them authority over everything he created. And I think we kind of, we quickly move over this sometimes, you know. He says, take advantage of the land and subdue it. It's yours. Take stewardship over, over the land. And everything up to this point has been unique about his creation of humanity. But this is the point where he gives, them, gives us a job to do. And I think we should maybe pause and consider the gravity of that job that he gives. I, th- I think it's unique as well. Just think of it in this way. For the past few days, God has been creating a perfect existence, a perfect world. It's beautiful. Everything is in its place. It's right. It's awesome. And then he creates humanity, and he says, and I want you to take care of it now. I'm giving the responsibility of it all over to you guys. And I, to maybe drive this point home a little bit, um, think of it in this term, in these terms. Think of a husband and wife deciding to have a baby. And they get pregnant. And for the next nine months, I can really relate to this story, uh, they are preparing for this little baby to come, right? They're they're reading everything that's out there. They're talking to other parents. What's the delivery room going to be like? At least that's what I'm asking parents. Um, What's the delivery room going to be like? How do we baby-proof this house so it's, it's all good to go? And and they're getting excited, and they're getting ready, and, it, and it's, the anticipation is building and building and building. And then this baby finally comes into the world. This perfect little bundle of joy comes into the existence of the world. And then those parents take this baby, and they give it to someone else completely and entirely. Done. Out of their hands. They give it over to this, ba- to this other person to take care of. This is what God does, almost. Because what God actually does is he gives over the creation of the world to people knowing that they'll mess it up, knowing that they'll fail. Think of it then in those terms, creating this child and and then giving it over to people knowing that they'll do wrong, or they'll, they'll be imperfect in their care. This is what God does with the creation of the world and the creation of humanity. And so I say all of that to say this, and if you're taking notes, I encourage you to write this down. God seems to have a lot of faith in humanity. At the end of each day of creation, God surveys all that he has done and speaks over a blessing of goodness. He is pleased with his craftsmanship, and he gives this over to people knowing that they would be imperfect in their care. But not only that, but that they would rebel against his ways even. They would purposefully turn away from what he knew to be good and right and righteous. And he did it anyway. He gave it over anyway. Therefore, to me, it it seems obvious that God placed more value on his relationship with humanity than he did with the rest of his creation. He was more concerned about maintaining a relationship with his, 
with his creation of humanity than, than he was about the care of the trees and the, the earth and the sky and all of, all of everything else. He wanted that to be uniquely special, uniquely pure. To transition this thought a little bit, this, this is perfectly personified in the person of Jesus, in the work of Jesus. Jesus lived perfectly yet died for sinners. He was guilty of no crime yet he took a criminal's cross. Jesus was God and yet was brought forth from a virgin in a smelly stable. In other words, he was under no obligation to do any of these things, yet his love compelled him. Love for what? Love for us. And one of the most well-known Scripture passages, uh, we, we read this in John three sixteen and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. It was for the love of the world and its inhabitants that Jesus came. So even after God had given over the responsibility of caring for the world and humanity had rejected God and damaged it, he still returns to do what? Not to save the world, but to save those whom he created inside of it. Jesus came with a purpose to give life to those who had been lost and to create a pathway back to God. God relentlessly is in pursuit of relationship with us. In the midst of rebellion, in the midst of sin, he is constantly pursuing a relationship with us. The first point that I made in this sermon was the more we value God, the more we will value others. And you might have noticed that I've kind of talked a lot about God and his value of people and not so much about how we should be valuing others. So here's my bias in all of this. My thought and my prayer behind this is that the more we see God, the, the fuller picture that we get of how he interacts with humanity, the more inspired and equipped we will be then to act like him. Because he gives us the power of his Holy Spirit to be like him in the world, to be his agents in the world, right? At the beginning, he created us, what, after his own likeness, to represent him in the world. So my thought is, the more that we see God, the bigger picture our imagination gets with God inside of it, the more equipped we will be to be his agents in the world, to represent him well in the world. I wanted to give a scriptural context of the, the why behind why we matter and where our worth comes from and, and why we should be loving people. And, I, and I'm here to tell you today that we shouldn't be loving people because it's the right thing to do. It is the right thing to do, but that's not the only reason why we should be doing it. And we shouldn't be loving people because it, it looks good or, or it gives us a, a good character or a great reputation that's not it either. See, biblically, the reason we, we love, I encourage you to write this down, is because we have been given an unending, absolutely unconditional love. And I should add to that too, undeserved. Undeserved love. That's why we do this thing. That's why we can look at a person who disagrees with us, who maybe even lives a radically different lifestyle than us, and still see them with that red shirt that just says, I matter. Because they matter to God. 
plain and simple. Just like I matter to God. Undeserved. Undeserved. See, the love of God for his people is illogical in the sense that it would make a lot more sense if he gave up on us like a long time ago. I mean, that's, if I'm honest, that's what I would have done. You know, going back to the, the kid metaphor, if I brought this baby into the world and I knew that I had to give it over to someone who was going to do it wrong, there's no chance that I would do that and, and especially not build a relationship with that person. There's no way that would happen t- for me. But, but God keeps doing that. He did it so much that he sent his son into the world to what? Be rejected and killed, but as the avenue of salvation. It's illogical in that sense, but it is saving in that sense as well. Exactly. See, this is selfless love at its absolute perfection. And if I'm honest with you, this is what I want to do. Personally, this is, this is the kind of love that I want to be giving off in the world. This is what I want to be known for more than anything else. That, that Brandon understood God's love in, in a tangible way, and it made a difference in the way that he lived his life. Obituary, right there. I love that. If I could live up to that, that would be huge, you know? And the reason I say that is because I've been, I have that love. I've been given that love by the creator of all things. And I'm inspired to live into that. The greater our understanding of God's love toward humanity, the more inspired we will be to mimic and embody his love. But you know what? Really, truly today, don't take my word for it. Honestly, don't take my word for it. Um, What I'd like to do now is is something that we've done a couple of times here. but just to kind of pay respect to this message today as something that doesn't just, is not mine, but is, is God's, is, I really believe God's message for us. Would you mind if we just stood as I read this passage of scripture? Shortest. This is First John chapter 4, starting in uh, verse 7 through 21. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is the love of God. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world, that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we have loved, but that God loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, If God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God then abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God then abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this, love is perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. 
There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And And this commandment we have from him, Whoever loves God must also love his brother. Thank you. You can be seated. That, that's the message. Whoever loves God loves his brother, loves his sister. That's what I want to love to you. That's what I want written on my tombstone right there. My encouragement and my challenge to you today is twofold. One is, is to go home and ponder this. Really, take time throughout this coming week and think about God's great love for you. Think about Christ and his sacrifice for you, undeserved, full of love and hope. But then, translate it into real life. What does this look like? What does this love look like in your life, where you work? Perhaps it's sticking up for the person that everyone backtalks at work. Perhaps it's, you know, practical, like folding that weak old pile of clothes to to please your spouse, right? Perhaps it's, I don't know. I really don't. But the love of God compels himself into action. And I think it should compel us as well to do things and to act out in love for the sake of Jesus and his gospel. So, if you would, please pray with me as as I pray over us at the end of this message. Father, I pray today that your love would transform our hearts and minds, that you would push us toward Jesus and that we would see him as an image of what love is like and that it would move us to press into you and that our hearts would be transformed by you and and that our minds would be renewed constantly by you that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit and that we would represent you well in this world that we would be we would act like and live like we are We look like the one who created all things. Help us, God, and and, and encourage us and inspire us to do so today. So may our understanding of your great and immeasurable love for us move us to perpetuate that kind of love in our communities, in this church, and in our families. In Christ's holy name, amen.